Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Leadership Leanin'. And uh, we are very excited about today's guest. You're going to love it. Again, like always, I want to say thank you so much for subscribing, commenting, posting, sharing. It means the world to me, and it's helping getting the message out about leadership and leaning into the subject. Uh, one of my favorite lines that Craig Rochelle says quite often, he's a leadership guru in my opinion, someone I really look to, he says, when the leader gets better, everyone else does as well. Everybody gets better when the leader gets better. That's what we're trying to do with this podcast is just get a little bit better. I have someone on here today that's going to help us in a tremendous way. Also, right after our convo, we are picking up, we chose 18 questions that we're going to answer that people wrote in and said, we're asking about this, about leadership. So we're going to blitz through 18 questions right after this talk. But please put your hands together. Maybe you're in the car, maybe at your house, maybe you're at the kitchen table. I have with me my good friend, Moksha is in the house. Moksha, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. for having me. It is an honor to have you. For those of you that don't know who this incredible leader is, built, uh, helped build one of the main guys that built ComplexCon and uh, the movement of that and that whole thing. I want to kind of talk about uh, so many insights about building a brand, uh, building a movement, uh, ComplexCon, being here in LA, you know, it was like everybody, right. you knew it felt when, big. It felt big. And everybody's driving to Long Beach. You know you got something popping when people are driving down Long Beach. Yeah, that was and intentional. I want to hear about that. And, 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 and let's, let's start here, though. Complex con, complex. How did you, where did this idea, what's the genesis of it, and how did you start building it? And talk to me about the early beginning days yeah. of, you know, I see it now when it's like all over hype beast all over you yeah. know the internet but you know talking about the yeah. genesis the beginning days so i'll give you the quick sort of like historical on complex so um i was a uh, young sort of like you know aspiring uh, business person i was working at a media company a magazine called the source it was a very uh, yeah. hip-hop specific magazine the uh in the well my mom used to smile every time my face was up in the source yeah you and Biggie, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. got it, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Five mics for you as well. Um, so I was working there in like the late 90s, early 2000s, sort of wow. fresh out of college. Yeah. And um, I was uh, probably super annoying and super sort of like aggressive and ambitious. And um, I... Uh, sort of worked my way up from like admin to like a partnerships representative, basically like a salesperson. Yep. And uh, Mark Echo and his partner, Seth Gersberg, uh, were one of my clients. They had a fashion brand, Echo Unlimited. And uh, through getting to know them, they had this kind of like, you know, at the time, probably like everyone poo hooted as like a crazy vanity driven idea that Mark had that he felt like um, he was advertising in all these different periodicals and none of them really hit sort of what he called a convergence consumer, which really he was sort of identifying trends of millennials before anyone even sort of started using the term millennials. Wow. And he, he felt like there was this audience that was just as interested in hip hop as they were action sports, wow. as they were in couture fashion, as they were in graffiti. And he felt like no one was really representing that. So you had sort of like the source core hip hop, GQ core fashion, yep. skateboarder, core skateboarder, but no one was sort of bringing all the sensibilities together. So we, in 2002 launched complex actually before we launched complex we launched climate uh which i think delta or someone promptly sent us a cease and desist because they owned the name or something <laughs> like that uh the first version of complex was actually uh 
on a Sony mini disc, which at the time we thought was going to scale wildly. <laughs> right, right, right. Talk about the wrong uh, insight there. But, um, you know, we sort of launched Complex Magazine, um, established the brand ID around that, which was around convergence culture and young people not really wanting to be sort of stereotyped or pigeonholed into one area, like people feeling like, hey, I can be just as interested in Biggie as I am, you know, Travis Barker. And I can be just as interested in car culture as I am in streetwear or fashion or or sort of high-end art or sort of uh, graffiti art. So sort of built complex around that insight, around convergence culture, um, that you know, sort of the magazine built, you know, it took a lot of like discipline, labor, sort of intense focus to get a print vehicle off the ground, pretty challenging business. Um, I think both out of need and intention, we pivoted to a digital business, which was really smart. A lot of legacy print businesses didn't make that change. Um, and, uh, you know, as you see, like a lot of really iconic brands in the print space have, have are either challenged or gone, um, because they didn't make that transition to, uh, to digital. And then, you know, sort of, it was all about complex is always about identifying sort of subcultures or, uh, niche trends and, and sort of elevating and making them aware to a more mass market. And then also taking, more mass things and making them culturally relevant. So it's always sort of like, we didn't want to be sort of like super inside baseball and yeah. like too cool because cool is an exceptionally small room, Yeah. but you also don't want to be overly mass because mass becomes ubiquitous. It becomes Walmart. It doesn't yeah. have cachet to it. Yeah. Um, and then, so we, we built, you know, digital, I think really allowed us, um, the ability to scale and reach more people, which to your point sort of allowed us to, you know, the movement was like young people caring about these things. We were just highlighting them through content and having conversations with them through social and being very engaged and sort of raising up the people that were emerging and then uh, sort of like talking about how the bigger brands or bigger personalities were doing things that were culturally relevant. And the content and the daily cadence of content and the interaction with them on social really allowed the brand to grow. And, you know, as technology changes, you know, you go from Google being your primary sort of like path to consumers to Facebook being the primary path to YouTube being the primary path. Now it's a myriad of tools, TikTok, Snap, et cetera, you know, because young people are adopting new platforms all the time like yeah. you know facebook's yeah. big challenge is like <laughs> people don't want to be on there because their grandmother's on there yeah, yeah, yeah. and then grandmothers don't want to be on tiktok but as soon as they are <laughs> the kids will be on to the new yeah, thing yeah, exactly. um and so you know we built that business over you know 10 15 years before we even um launched complex con wow. and um we uh a guy named Aaron Levant came to us who was involved with Comic-Con New York and some other big conferences. And he sort of said like, Hey, what do you guys think about doing this com- complex con? And it was more of a, his idea was more of like mm, almost like a streetwear convention mixed with other music, art, et cetera. And, you know, to his credit, Mark Echo sort of saw it as like a, a kernel of an idea. And Mark is a huge Disney star Wars, Lucas, Wow. fan and he just really sort of went off and ideated on it and mm. and sort of said like this can be something much bigger yep. and then um when we i think you know to the particularly to like the mainstream and to like broader american sort of awareness um outside of sort of that core 18 to 34 year old audience complex con really encapsulated what that previous 15 years of sort of yep. building content, elevating the emerging. So you needed those 15 years to really bring you into this space to be able to do this. 
Like, would you say that's your credibility? That brought your credibility? Yeah, it was. I mean, Complex was really built brick by brick. Yeah. Some of that was based on necessity. Like, we really, you know, it was like first, you know, Mark financed it. Then we got very minimal venture capital. So a lot of it was like we always had to have a mind on doing things profitably, which, yeah. in, you know, if if we hadn't had that lens and we had had tons of capital to deploy, we probably could have done things a lot faster, right. but they might not have been as meaningful. They might not have built the same amount of credibility because going brick by brick, you do build a lot of longevity and right. credibility and establishment with the audience. Right. I think we perhaps could have done it sooner, but I, I think it, it felt like something really new uh, really celebratory for the audience. Um, it felt like everything that Complex had been covering on a daily basis from a content perspective and in the social sphere, it felt like the internet in real life. Like yeah. as you are walking those halls, you're right. seeing, I mean, literally people- What come you've up. been looking at from your bedroom, yeah. it's actually here. And Yeah, you, you recognize people that you've never met yeah. because you've seen them on- you know, Off-White's Instagram or Nike's Instagram yeah. or wherever on sure. Snapchat. You're li like, you might, oh, that's Chad, I know him, but wait a minute, I don't really know him, but, but I, he's here. And it's like, yeah. it was it had a massive gravitational pull um, from uh, sort of like bringing talent and personalities and brands in. Uh, and then to your point before about Long Beach, that was really intentional. Like we had considered New York and LA, um, but we wanted to have that suction, that gravitational pull where you, similar to the way like South by Southwest had with Austin for many yeah. years, where like thousands of people um, sort of like land in Austin and yeah. you're not gonna leave the same day. Right. But if you had it in downtown LA, it's like people would pop in and out. Oh, totally. But if if I if you come to Long Beach, you spent that time, you invested in yeah, going yeah. there, you're gonna spend some time. You're not you, stopping by Long Beach. Right. No. Yeah. There's yeah. not much else there. Totally, totally. <laughs> My wife has this theory about parties. It, you know, she's always like, if we do it in a spot that people are just going to stop by and just make it one of the many things they do at that do that night, it's not going to be a good party. It's got to be like in the like the most obscure spot of the city. So like, yeah. you know, recently she threw a party in K-Town because it's like you got to work to go to K-Town and work <laughs> to find parking in K-Town. But I totally agree with that. I think that, that and that's a genius idea. How did you get to want to talk about the business of hype? Because I feel like you were building, I didn't know you were building this catalog for 15 years and this credibility. And then you get there and people are walking the halls and they're seeing recognizable faces. But I feel like there was so much hype around what you were doing. And was it the stars, you know, in this yeah. cul-de-sac that you brought together? Was it the Was it the video? Was it the graphic? Like, how did you build... I just feel like you guys had a tidal wave of yeah hype. Like even even like the faith thing that you did a couple of years yeah. ago it was like where well, was like what is this thing yeah that you're doing around how like how does you how do you think about hype yeah so I you? think there's three things and even with the the new business that Aaron and I are doing you know it is all about energy which you know hype can kind of be a little bit of a fleeting word right. um it's all about energy and connection and like the depth of connection and the depth of energy with people but i think um i was sort of thinking about it on the lift ride over here today and i think there's like three key things to like at least from my perspective that really help generate that depth of connection and that sort of buzz and that hype and one it has to be like ephemeral so it has to be limited almost like we were talking about with the podcast like it's appointment viewing yep. right like so you have to get there to see it so if you think about complex con it's like two days november whatever the dates yep. are in long beach yep like the social media strategy if you're not there is going to give you crazy you're, fomo crazy fomo yeah um and the content that de is deployed afterwards whether it's video or text and image base is going to sort of reinforce that or the folks that were there is really going to highlight their experience and say like i was part of that it was a mm. unique 
limited time yeah. experience. That's really cool. To your point about the faith piece, and this really, I think, goes for for anything from consumer products to events, is it needs to be creatively unique where, you know, the idea of bringing, uh, you know, Rich Wilkerson into a space with DeRay from Black Lives Matters and Jerry from Fear of God, like no one saw that coming. Yep. It was creatively unique. Right. Um, they were, it made people in a positive way uncomfortable because they didn't see it coming. Right. Even those guys were uncomfortable. Wow. Like each one of them, you think, you know, like, <laughs> you know, DeRay's, yeah. you know, the moderator, you know, like obviously he has a very specific stance with Black Lives Matter right. and, and, um, you know, everything that he's about. And, you know, I think, you know, Jerry's got his agenda and Rich has his and like, how does it all come together? And it was, it was great that it was overwhelmingly positive. Right. Um, but you know, it got people to sort of like raise an eyebrow and say like, oh, wait, what are they doing over here? Yeah. You know, whereas there's obviously some programming that we did that was very core and was to be expected because you want right. to satiate the core. But if you want to create that energy and create those surprise and delight moments, you have to have things that are just like thought provoking. Yeah. So you can have sneaker of the year, who are the hottest streetwear designers, like those kind of panels, yep. those satiate the core. Yeah, right. So like, yeah, you want to do things like that. Sure. But if you want to get people to, you want to get new people mm. and you want to, uh, sort of provoke thought, you have to do things that are creatively unique. Um, so I think that's, those are like some, some pieces that are really interesting and then specific to big conferences like a complex con or, or, or even in consumer products, giving people exclusivity mm. or first in line status, early access. Um, you know, uh, we, you probably see this all the time, like people want social currency, right? Yeah. So whether they get the new Nike Supreme drop, that's really just a form of social currency. So like, right. They can go around the water cooler at Zoe and be like, well, you know, people recognize yeah, them for yeah, having yeah. that product. You what? Yeah. New Travis Scott's what? Exactly. Or yeah. it can be intellectual capital. Wow. So I was at, you know, Rich Wilkerson, DeRay, Jerry, and I learned X, Y, Z. Wow. Now you have some sort of like intellectual capital and intellectual firepower. It's really cool. That your peer group didn't have or and you're able to share with them. I like that. And hopefully you're adding benefit to them. Mm. But, you know, people obviously work off of ego. Where at did a minimum, you find language have, like that? Intellectual capital. Like where did you, where did, what books, what, exposure did you have i think a did lot you of create that term i don't know <laughs> I, I, I just thought of it right now but i think um a lot of that was wrestling to like like my role in businesses has always been to help creative people commercialize their idea. Mm -hmm. So Mark and the creative team had this idea of like convergence culture, complex, complex con, or even what we're doing now in network. It's a totally new concept of like entertaining video com content paired with commerce. You know, it's kind of like the cool QVC for, yeah. you know, the younger generation, but it's new. So it's totally foreign to the yeah. sort of like commercial market. So those kind of terms, I would, it's like through years of trying to explain what complex is, like people were very comfortable with like, I know what ESPN is. Yeah. I know what GQ is. Right. I know what Sports Illustrated is. Right. I'm familiar with those things. I'm comfortable with those things. What's this new thing right. that some guy that, you know, got his start doing graffiti for Tribe Called Quest and then created a streetwear brand, you know, what yeah. businesses does he have in media? What is he trying to do? What right. are you guys trying to, it was just like confusing to people. Right. So it was like, you first it was explained to people like, hey, there's a new movement among young people yep. that they don't want to be pigeonholed into these boxes. Yep. And we see that even more acutely expressed today. If you look at like the political climate and how young people yep. truly don't want to be identified even, you know, by gender or ethnicity or political uh, sort of like disposition. Um, 
you know, we were more focused on like the consumer side where like people didn't want to be purely identified by what music they listened to, what right. kind of style they had, right. what kind of art they were interested in, you know, all of those kind of things. So, you know, sort of before we started doing it, it was like jocks, nerds, yeah, yeah, yeah. skaters, old school, right? Yeah. Punk rock kids. Yeah. Like there was, but they all started mashing together. The interest wow. started to, to, uh, converge. Uh, and that got, a lot of gasoline got poured on that fire with the internet and social media yep. just made the world and culture a lot smaller and a lot more accessible. Mm. Um, so I think it's through many, many failures of trying to explain people and trying to evangelize our business and trying to get people to invest in our business, whether that was like brand sponsors or whoever, yeah. um, and trying to articulate why our brand mission and what we were doing could help their business and help them connect with a new audience that would be important to their business long-term. Yeah. I love that. I want to, I want to talk to you just even as you're mentioning the new stuff that you're working on, you have a proven track record of executing ideas. And so you have an idea and you see it come to pass. How, how, what are disciplines or what are values that you have? When I say the word idea, how do you uh, bring it to life? And, and what are key steps? And, and, and when you, I'm sure you get around people, a lot of people in LA, New, you, you know, you live in LA, New York, and Miami. These are hot spots of ideas. Ideas yeah. are happening in these cities. When you get around some people, you're like, this guy always has a great idea, but he can never follow through. And he can never execute on it. What is the reason why people fail to execute their ideas? And how have you been able to take something from 2002 into what, you know, you developed it into? And then and then we'll talk about it in a moment. Then you got out, but you brought it to yeah. this level. How do you execute? So I think everyone has good ideas, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like everybody's smart too. Yeah, it's so um, true. And everyone has their own genius. That's what I believe. Yeah. Uh, and people have incredibly good ideas. Most ideas fail through lack of consistency and lack of persistence. Uh, I see, I know people that are ridiculously smarter than I am, but they're not willing uh, for quality of life reasons to put in the consistent work and have uh, the perseverance to just stick with it. Um, you know, being, you know, working through the hard stuff, you know, it's not for everyone. And I think to make right. something really successful takes any startup is hard. It takes a tremendous amount of effort. You have to have, uh, you know, a bit of a chip on your shoulder and have a, like kind of a competitive spirit, yep. uh, in a positive way. Um, you know, the world is not your enemy, but like it is competitive out <laughs> right, there. Right, right. Um, and you, to make these businesses, like the mission has to stay pure. So the tactics can change. Like if you think about complex, it started as, you know, um, Sony mini disc, that was the wrong tactic. Right. It was the right mission was to mm. elevate convergence culture. Wow. Then print, worked pretty well mm. the marketplace changed mm. digital became the primary form of consumption and also advertising monetization so there had to be a pivot to that then it became video now it's sort of multi-pronged and if you're not can if you don't have a mission that is consistent coupled with consistency and persistence around execution it won't, you know, it won't work. Yeah. Um, you know, I had someone, I was talking to someone at Snapchat yesterday, uh, and they said something about like, uh, perseverance, uh, beats resistance every day. Yeah. And you know, it's probably like one of those like silly slogans they have up on the wall in there, right. but it's really true. It's, it's true. true in sports. Yep. Um, you know, and it's true in business, you yep. know, sometimes even so, so ideas can make it if the executional team is there and then great ideas fail every day because right. people don't want to put in the the work that's needed that's it. and it's not it's not that they don't i don't know, sort of discredit them for not wanting to put on right. the work it's just like they're choosing other priorities in life that are meaningful to them mm -hmm. and you know 
people like me choose other things which yeah. they wouldn't choose right 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 <laughs> so let me ask you this so you 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 fall in love with an idea you're you're hook line and sinker on the idea you're like you're fully committed you start building it like you've done uh many times over and then um you get it to the place where uh, maybe this is what you dreamt or even I never even saw it this big or saw it this yeah. great. It, it surpassed my vision. I think that's that's one cool thing about leadership is I think that sometimes you step into the genesis of an idea and, you know, oftentimes it's like, I didn't get this far in my dream. I didn't get this far in my in my vision. It's it surpassed what I thought yeah. it would do, which is really cool. How do you know? Let's say you walk the full length of that court. How do you know when to pivot? How do you know when to change? Because you've stepped out of complex. Yeah. You've you made made a transition and we're like, I killed this. I created a business of hype. I got the consumer. I, I touched a generation. I built this great event. Uh, on yeah. and on and on yeah. and on. And then you jump off. Yeah. How do you know when to do that? It's like the original goal was fulfilled. So in business, you know, the goal is particularly when there's venture capital involved, the, the goal is always to exit the business, to sell it um, to a, a larger company. In the case of Complex, we sold it to, to Verizon and to Hearst Media. Mm-hmm. And once that was done, it was kind of like mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was kind of always the point. It was like we had a core mission of elevating convergence culture, helping emerging talent become more established and helping bigger brands get sort of cachet. But we always felt like we could build this. And then if we could put it on into the pipes, into the platform of a bigger, you know, organization like, you know, Verizon is one of the biggest telecommunication companies in the world. Right. They could really add sort of like jet fuel to that and and help develop other lines of business um, right. that would make it, uh, you know, sort of withstand the test of time. And if you think about Complex, uh, it's the most important brand to, particularly to multiculturals 18 to 34 in the last 50 years. I mean, right. you know, it's like you had MTV and BET before it and the, their um, cache has waned. Uh, and I think, you know, we built something and like having it grounded with two sort of iconic uh, owners with Hearst and then Verizon, it gives it a foundation to flourish for the next 50 years. Yep. So I think it's like us as sort of like entre slash entrepreneurs, our goal is always to build an exit, which is probably a bit different than the goals on your side of the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I like that even though, you know, you cash out or you t- you exit, you're leaving it. You're not abandoning the ship. You're leaving it in good hands. So there is legacy attached to it. Honestly, hopefully it can do better, right? Wow. Hopefully they have more resources. And how important was that to you? Like, you know, I, I think that's important. I wanted to stop and talk about that because I think some people would look at someone like yourself from the outside and go, built it, built it, built it, got it to a spot, cashed out, bounce. How important was legacy to you before you took off? I think it's almost like, you know, I have a 21 year old daughter who's in college, right? And like, I think some parents like get so worried about their kids to leave and go like right. take on the business world. I'm so excited for it. Right. Cause it's like my little creation and like whatever influence I've for better or worse put on her right like i'm so excited to see what she does when she graduates next year so it's like that kind of that kind of spirit yeah um and yeah i mean obviously you spend that much time on something you have a lot of pride around it and a a lot of um you know heart for the people are there yeah um when big companies come in a lot of people change you know like the majority of the people that i was there with since had left there's a few there that are still doing a great job but yeah you want it you know you certainly don't want it to be the uh we work situation yeah like yeah totally right like you're right 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 like we work probably you know no offense to anyone worked on it but probably doesn't exist in a couple years where you know complex have been around for i don't know probably close to 20 years now it certainly has another 20 good years ahead of it well i was thinking it's so different you know like uh we went we went and saw lebron last night and i was listening this morning to some people talk about how every time lebron leaves miami or leaves cleveland 
the team absolutely tanks without him. Like they go, they go, they have the worst, yeah. you know, like record setting low wins the next year. And they're talking about today, like if LeBron leaves the Lakers, what does it leave them? Thank God they have AD, but what is it? Le- what kind of you know offense would they run? And yeah. the, the the point being in in business a little bit different than than basketball. Uh, basketball it's surrounded by a superstar but what you created was an ecosystem you created culture and values that can withstand even if you exit you're leaving it in good hands yeah to where it could go even further there's 200 plus excellent people there yeah some of the people i had the you know honor and opportunity to work with them over 10 plus years there who are still cool. there and they're still thriving and killing it and, and growing and they bring in new people all the time. But like a system, a mission, uh, sort of like a set of core values That's what was established about. and they can continue to execute against those things. Obviously business dynamics change, Yeah, but it's that, you know, I, I always used to say in early, early stage businesses, right? If you do lose a key player, right, your business can be hobbled or, yeah, you know, they, that's why they have key man insurance yeah. on uh, startups. Right. But, you know, you get to a business at the scale that that is and the foundation is strong enough to withstand anyone leaving. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe your key player leaves and you have to get two replacements. Yep. You know, maybe it can't be a one for one, but you're, you know, you don't go from a winning record to a losing record in one season. It just doesn't happen. It's, yeah. It, it'd be, a, if it does decline, it would be a slower de- decline because your foundation is there, which you see like even in, you know, any of these huge consumer product businesses, right? Yeah. Where consumer trends change, like right. people are calorically more conscious than they used to be so you yeah. see those trend lines in beer or sodas where they wow. they you know people are drinking more water yeah. or whatever lower cali right. situation there is but those businesses are fundamentally very strong yeah so it's not like pepsi has a problem overnight they can because their foundation is so strong right and their business is diversified they can work at it and try and prop up the pieces that are softening and launch yep. new pieces to serve that new consumer that. need where if you're just you know if you're you know one team of two people yeah. and you know one rock star is making it all happen and something happens to that rock star it's potentially a world of trouble Absolutely. You, you use the word values and I, and I want to ask you this question. So, um, what, what would be your personal values as a leader? You know, you've had decades of success here in this field. So you have to have values that drive you. I always think there's a saying manners make it the man. I think values make it the leader values drive you. And so what values do you have personally? And then like in our cul-de-sac, it's always like, there's always like a, the church values and then the staff values. So there's always like a difference between like, this is what the church and the business is going to value, but here it, behind closed doors, it's like, it's like it's, what really matters. It's what really matters. Yeah. It's like, I always think there's the ones that are like in complex, there's ones that like the mission and we value this, but then you, what do you value? Yeah. They go, these things drive me to get up in the morning and and work so hard. Yeah. So, um, I I think I've just, you know, frankly, I've made like so many mistakes over the years. So like what I value now has probably evolved. Um, you know, uh, I started, you know, fortunately slash unfortunately, you know, working with a team and managing a team when I was like 25 years old at complex, which is like, uh, in retrospect, way too young. <laughs> God bless the people that put me in the position to do that because it, you know, it helped me grow. But I made a ton of mistakes, you know, and and made mistakes like thinking like everyone should do and think the way I do, you know, sort of like lacking empathy for their positions and just thinking like, hey, if I do it this way and it's successful, then it will be successful. But, you know, through all of that failure, I think, you know, what's important to me for you know, if if I'm sort of in a leader position or I'm working with my colleagues who are leading other teams, I think there's like, to me, a few things that are really super important are consistency. 
Um, you know, I hear it over and over again, and, you know, even in our new business network, it's a small team, you know, 60, 70 people, but you know, the, the sort of more junior, uh, staffers, they need consistency of message. Mm -hmm. So like the leaders, the department leaders, like they know the core mission, they know what we're trying to do. We're working on it every day, but it's important that consistency of mission is projected to the entire team group and the entire body of those people. So I think consistency is just, and communication and consistency is really important. I think probably I don't do enough of it or and any leader could, right, could right. use to improve on that. Um, I also think like honesty is mm. so important and like honesty is kind of an obvious, like people are like, yeah, don't be dishonest. But oftentimes in business and in personal communications, and that could even be, you know, spousal type things, we soften honesty, we soften directness, we avoid directness. Mm. And I've heard time and time again from either peer feedback or team feedback that people would rather hear sort of the hard truth. They'd rather know where they stand, yep. good or bad. Right. They don't want to think like, oh, hey, Moksha told me like A, B, C, and D, but then he told Chad D, E, and F, and those are divergent. Right. Like they right. rather hear sort of like consistency of message right. and honesty around message. Right. Um, so I think those are two really key things. Um, and I think those sort of like, help sort of congeal the team around a central focus, a central mission and get them sort of like, you know, you want to have to have a successful back to execution. In my opinion, it's kind of like you want to organize the entire team to march in the same direction. Yep. That's how you can be effective That's at it. knocking down tasks that ultimately produce the results that get you to the bigger mission right because if you have people one off and working in silos not communicating yep. they might be doing great work but they're you know it's like one's marching left one marching center one marching right you're never getting to where you go or right. it's going to be incredibly slow and painful right so you know one of the things that you know i think i've been you know, sort of like learn and, and try to become good at is like organizing and focusing massive, at least in my opinion, massive amounts of people and pushing them in the same direction. That's great. Yeah. But, and to be able to do that though, I always think that there's gotta be, um, for me to have great values in our organization and for me to have that consistency of communication, it does go back to my personal life. Like I always feel like this will never be better than this. Yeah. Like my health or lack thereof shows up here. So if I have values that drive me as a leader and those are consistent, uh, we call it the compound of consistency. When you're consistent with kindness, generosity, yeah. honesty, faithfulness, perseverance, you're consistent, you've proven that. It shows up here and there's a sense of trust there's a sense of harmony, unity, and I feel like the we we get going really fast when this is in line. Yeah, you know, and these these things are there. If you remove my personal discipline, this gets chaotic. It does, and it's not always easy to stay personally disciplined and and personally sort of above the fray because yeah. we get myopic in our business. Right, like challenges come up you get towards the end of the day, like, you know, I'm up at 5.30 a.m. every day. By 6 p.m., I'm a little worn out, yeah. right? So, like, if some stuff happens at work that's frustrating, your reaction to that may not be as positive if it happened at 10 a.m. Right. And, and watching those things and, you know, look, if, you know, I, you know, just sort of recognizing my own flaws, like, I sometimes react, you know, poorly to those things sure and i think it's important to sort of the point going back to values that you recognize them yeah you say hey like that wasn't the greatest reflection uh who i want to be yeah yeah sorry about that yeah. and i'll you know check me on that next yep. time and like here's not as an excuse but here's why it happened yep you know i was like well, I was two thinking, other things were going on sure. and this came up and it just snapped well, it reminds me of something uh i heard someone say you don't have to be a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time 
But when you need to be 100%, you need to be 100%. <laughs> and by the time 6 p.m. comes, you're in decision fatigue already. Yeah. You know, I, I think leadership is about going, these are my prime hours that I can be 100%. Yeah, but, and, that's and, a good point. And, and that's, you know, that 5.30 to 9 a.m. range, that 6 to 11 a.m. range, I can't get better than that. Find me at 3.30 we might as well just go to the gym. And you have to know yourself. Like for myself, like sometimes yeah. it's better to not answer until the next day or, hey, exactly. we'll deal with it then yep. when we are fresh. And, yep. you know, because, you know, everyone, you know, we all treat every situation and business and personal life like it is the most important thing of right now versus yep. looking at it like, hey, in six weeks, am I going to remember this? Is this going to be super important? Right. And if you're not going to remember it in six weeks, right? probably not worth getting worked yeah, exactly, up over. Exactly. But if you are going to remember it in six weeks, you better then, deal then, with it. Then we can deal with it. <laughs> well, man, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to watching your your journey to see this new idea. And, you know, I just feel like you're someone that's always going to be pushing the envelope into the new and you've proven that. And I don't think that we're going to see anything else from your life other than extraordinary, very unique, very current. Um, I will never call it on trend because I think you're going to create a trend. So thank you so much for Thanks sitting for down. Me. You're the yep. best. All right. This month, uh, we did something a little different. We said we we're going to go to two podcasts a month. We're getting serious in 2020 about leadership, lean in. And uh, we asked everyone to send in some questions. So our team went through and selected the top 18 where we found, I don't even know what the biblical number for 18 is, but where we found 18, I don't know. These are just the top best questions. So I'm going to rapid fire here and do my best to reply to people that wrote in and, uh, Hopefully, we gain some some wisdom together as we talk through these. It says, number one, advice for women in ministry and preaching as a female. Well, first of all, thank you for being in the ministry and for preaching. What an honor. And uh, advice I would have is study the best communicators. Um, one of my favorite quotes about preaching is, study yourself approved, uh, think yourself clear, pray yourself hot and preach yourself empty. So the first thing I'll just say is start with study. Study yourself approved, that is theology, but also listening to great, effective communicators. And I find that with communication, I wanna listen to the people that I wanna emulate. I really like the way that they draw history. I really like the way that they uh, can scale. I really like the way that they can have dynamics. Not necessarily this is who I'm trying to sound like, but I like the nuances or the fragrance of their communication. So I would just say to any male or female preacher, um, do those four things and get around, listen to the best of the best. It's going to sharpen your craft. Work on your craft. Number two, what do you do if you want to bring a concern to your leader, but you don't know if you have the place to? Well, I think your question just just gave you the answer. If you don't have the place, uh, then I would steer clear. Um, there's wisdom right there. If you're asking yourself this question, I don't know if it's my place. Well, you just answered your own question. It's probably not your place. So then I just pray and just say, God, it's not my place. So make it somebody else's and bring in the right counsel, bring in the right uh, person. I always think I have so much trust because the Holy Spirit is the greatest pastor in the world. And so if I can't talk to people, I just ask the Holy Spirit to go talk to people. Number three, advice for being in ministry with your spouse. Well, congratulations. That is just awesome. I know so many successful people that are in ministry together with us, with their spouse. I would say one of the key ingredients to, first of all, your marriage, but also to being in ministry together is respect and honor respect one another and honor one another and you watch if you guys can come together in unity and harmony it will make the ministry so easy so try and do your best to respect 
and honor. And, you know, it's like Julie and I work together and I kind of just do whatever she says and I kind of go along with what she wants and life works out really well. So if you're working with your spouse in ministry, just I would treat it like such an honor, respect them, honor them, give them a voice, give them place, give them room to speak into what you're doing. Every time I preach in the 10 a.m., the first thing I do is go to Julia and say, what do we got to edit? Did I say anything wrong? Do you like the illustrations? How can I get better? So number four, can one ministry outgrow the church as a whole? Our youth ministry literally does everything. Well, good news for you. If you're leading that youth ministry, you are an accomplished, successful leader. So congrats. I would just say, keep going. Don't despise small beginnings and just have a sense of gratitude that you're contributing so much to the church. So have you outgrown the church? I don't know if I'd look at it that way. I don't know if that's a smart, healthy way to go, my youth ministries outgrown the church. I would more look at it from the lens of, man, I'm really grateful that what I lead gets to contribute to such a big thing. Uh, one of my favorite lines is, I'd rather play a small part in a big thing. The problem is sometimes we think we're the big thing in 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 a small. Did I say that right? We're a big part of a small thing. You gotta, in other words, you gotta keep your heart humble, keep your heart grateful, and a lot of that just washes away. Keep serving; God will take care of the rest. Number five: What's a typical day in the life for you? Well, it always starts with coffee. A typical day uh, in my life is um, starting off with our kids, getting them off to school, starting off with some Bible reading in the morning and some coffee and kind of getting our emails and everything in line. Then we take them to school and then it's straight to the office, try and work. And then right when I leave the office from work, trying to go get a sweat in, get to the gym. I like to work I like to work out right before I go home because then I'm fresh, I'm excited, I'm awake, so I can uh, be really alert for dinner time with my family and then go straight into bath and books and bedtime with my kids. And uh, and then once they go down, it's uh, whatever's left over as far as uh, work goes. I might need to grab my laptop. I might need to get on some phone calls. Or if nothing, everything's done, it's me and Julia getting to do whatever we want to do. Clean up our room, clean up the house, watch a show. That would be a typical day in my life. If I could draw it up and, and go, this is what I need. About two to three days a week, it's a normal day in the life right there. That that right there, we can get a lot of work done with that schedule right there. Number f- number six, are there ever days you don't want to be on? If so, how do you conquer those days? I love, I was just sharing with Moksha. Uh, I heard it said, you don't have to be 100%, 100% of the time, but when you need to be 100%, you need to be 100%. So I don't feel on 100% of the time. Uh, throughout the day, there are times where it's bursts of on and just knowing, okay, this is a time I need to be on. I need to be on for this meeting. I need to be on for this person, on for this phone call. But I don't have to be on all day. I think you'll grow exhausted if you try and be constantly on. I think leadership is about knowing when can I be off and when do I need to fire up and be on. Number seven, best tips for young preachers and young writers. I think the best tip that I can give any young preacher or any young writer is work on communication every day. Um, you, You don't work on preaching just when you preach and you don't work on writing just when you're putting out, you know, some publication. Um, every day have the discipline. Um, so preaching, I know that when I have coffee with someone, if I can get them to laugh, and be engaged with what I'm saying right here one-on-one, that's improving my communication. When I, Every day when I write my uh, de- devotion, um, I'm writing it like it's going to get pub- like put out in a book, like a blog. I want to write it so effective and so well 
that if somebody reads this, it's like, whoa, that made so much sense. And that was such a good illustration. So in other words, work on it every single day. Number eight, what are your habits of rest? How do you stay away from burnout? I think the greatest thing you could ever give your life is a rhythm. Have a rhythm. Know when you go to bed. Know when you get up. Um, avoid burnout like the plague. No one is a superhero. Everyone needs the amount of sleep that is appropriate for you. So you just got to know you. I have one friend that's like, I have to sleep eight to nine hours every single night. I know other people are like, I only need six hours and they're both genuine. You have to crack your code. So my tip to you is know your rhythm, create a rhythm, establish a rhythm. And then the best way to not burn out is by having quiet time. Having a time for me, it's reading the Bible, it's time of prayer, I cannot burn out if I sleep really good and I have that time, I will be wasted away if I don't sleep and I don't have that quiet devotion time. That's just for me personally. Number nine, how do you have conversations with volunteers about tithing? Well, that is just awesome that you want to do that. I think, again, the Holy Spirit's the greatest pastor, and so we got to pray that God starts talking to him. Uh, one of my favorite lines to say when it comes to tithing is, hey, it's not my job to ask you to give, but would you be willing to ask God, God, what would you want me, what do you have me to give? And I think that's just a great question to ask God, God, do you want me to tithe? And um, I would lead them to a, it's got to be a personal conviction. One of my favorite scriptures Every man must give what he's decided in his heart. Giving is a decision of the heart. So I can talk to someone about tithing, but ultimately they need to talk to God. God, do you want me to give? And how much do you want me to give? Your word says I'm supposed to give 10%. Do you want me to obey that? And get them in a relationship with God and talking to God. I think that solves everything. Uh, Number uh, 10, practical way to gain volunteers in your church. How do you keep them motivated for the long haul? I think the best way to gain volunteers is to recruit them. I think if you're going to be in church, you need to become a master recruiter. And how do you keep them motivated? Well, how do you stay motivated? You got to keep the vision always out in front of us. We are motivated, not by need. We are motivated by vision. It's, I always think the church is yet in the vision. We have more vision than we have resource. We have more vision than we have people. So I got to keep pumping the vision because we're all building to what's not here today, but what's in our heart for tomorrow. Next thing. Um, number 11, do you get the Monday blues? Oh my gosh. On Monday, I don't even know my name. I don't even know. Did, did we accomplish anything yesterday? Monday blues. It's like a great Sunday happens. You're like, you're up and you're ready. And it's like, wow, that was awesome. It's usually unfortunately attached to attendance. It's so petty, but the Monday blues happens when it's not happening the way you want. And that was not a good day. And why did that not work? And the Monday blues are inevitable. I think you got to learn how to not have overreaction Monday. Overreaction Monday is you come in on Monday and you're like, we're changing this, we're changing that. No, no, no. Let's sleep on it and let's see how we feel on Tuesday. But I know so many people that have the Monday blues, of course. How do you deal with criticism? It's a great thing because I get criticized quite often. Criticism is inevitable. I think, remember, um, the more you step out, the more you become a target for criticism. If you don't want to be criticized, do nothing at all. Criticism happens when you're moving forward and you start to have uh, some effectiveness around your life. Just a heads up, people are going to make fun of you. They're going to create fake accounts about you. They're going to you know, laugh at you and then it's just a part of this whole thing. So I, I hold to Jesus' words. They're like, Jesus goes, listen, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. So leading for God kind of comes with this whole connotation that being light and being salt and being, uh, someone that carries the gospel is going to come with some hate. It's just part of, and even hate from our own cul-de-sac and our old community, our own community. So how do I deal with criticism? I try and just not let it go to my, I try and not let praise go to my head and criticism go to my heart. How do I keep both of those? Listen, don't read your own press clippings. You're not that great. And don't take criticism too seriously. Maybe take some truth out of, maybe there is some truth we need to take from the criticism, but if not, just, just, 
Haters are going to hate, not driven by what they say. I've got to be driven by my values and what God wants me to do. So it just kind of is what it is. How to combat a competitive spirit among team of leaders. Oh, I just, I dislike this. My job is to celebrate everyone on my team. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, the competitive spirit thing is like, you want to compete with people on our team. I just, what a shallow soul. What a, what a, what a, what a crazy mindset. What a small, small spirit. I, I don't, I don't have any room for it. I, I would never tolerate that on our team. If you want to compete with other people on our team, just like, it's not, it's not okay. It's not cool. And there's something broken in that person. So I just call it out. We Listen, people with a competitive spirit usually are insecure. And around insecure people, they want us to walk around them with eggshells. No, no, no. We're going to stomp on those eggshells, call them out, because that stuff that lurks in the dark could destroy our team. So don't allow it. I, I you Combat that. Throw, throw it out there in the middle of the room and go like, hey, you're being weird. Don't do that. Um, next one. Number 14. How, when you started Zoe, what are some things you do differently and some things you're glad you did? What are some things I did differently? Uh, I would have hired staff quicker. I think we were a little bit slow to hire um, because we just were watching the money. You know, your new startup. I think I would have hired for growth rather than once we grew. I think we hired a little bit late, and um, some things. That I'm I'm glad that we met every Tuesday night for nine months and got ready with the DNA and the culture and the values and the vision of this house and the mission. So when we launched the church. It was strong. The team was strong. The culture was strong. Felt like an established church because we had been getting this thing ready for nine months. I'm so glad we took our time with that. Number 15, how do you help old leadership teams get behind new vision? That's a great question. And um, I find this to be one of the hardest things in leadership. Not that I've had tons of experience with it, but talking with people that take over churches, older congregations, older established, that old regime, that old guard, it is really hard for people to get along with new vision. So I would just say, um, wait it out. Time tells. Um, sometimes, you know, it's like I had a friend take over a church and he said for the first three years, it was like off-roading, you know, it's just hard and, you know, so-and-so's leaving and so-and-so's offended and so-and-so doesn't like it and so and the changes and blah, blah. And, but after about three and a half years, it was like, he said, they got, got off of the, you know, the Jurassic ride and onto the freeway. So I would just say, be patient, wait it out. Time's going to change everything. Stick to your guns and stick to the vision. Uh, number 16, how do you take the lead when you're a passive person? Wow. How do you take the lead when you're a passive person? Um, I would say it's okay if you're passive because if you're yourself, everything will work out. Just don't be passive aggressive. Be passive. That's fine. If you're, you, you defer and you let others lead. I think the most important thing about leadership is being yourself, being secure. And even if you're passive, there's room and there's grace for that. I know so many effective, great leaders that are kind of passive by nature. They're not like alpha and it really works as long as you're secure and you're yourself. Uh, Number 17, how do you lead when you're one of the youngest in the room? Great, great question. Uh, Timothy comes to mind, right? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't let anyone despise your age. Set the bar, set the example. Um, So what are you setting the bar in? Your speech, your faith, your purity. You are the gold standard. So you don't need to be a certain age. Jesus is 12 in the temple, and they are like, who is this? So set the bar, uh, Come dressed excellent. Let your speech be filled with truth and grace. You know, have an edge, have an excellent spirit about you. And it doesn't matter if you're the youngest in the room. All that matters is that there's a spirit of excellence and kindness, and you got the right character and the right values that are driving your leadership. Last one, number 18, we did it. How do you steward influence without a platform? 
That is a great question. Um, well, first of all, if you have influence, <laughs> you have a platform. You are the platform. I always think this is very important because a lot of people think my platform is my influence. Well, let's take uh, Bishop Jakes. If you take Potter's house away from Bishop Jakes, does he still have a platform? The answer is yes, because he, his influence is the platform. So if you have influence, your name, who you are, is an influence. So I would just say, don't worry about the platform. The platform is God's business. God will give you a mic when he wants to. God will give you a stage when he wants to. All that's God's. God gives invitation. God gives promotion. Promotion cometh not from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the All that. So I'm not worried about platform. I'm always careful about being a good steward of my influence. Guys, we did it. 18 questions. Hey, thank you so much for sending those in. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed it. We love you. And we are believing over your life as a leader that you would get a sense of the wind of heaven at your back. I love that terminology, wind of heaven, the wind of heaven at your back. And you're growing in grace, you're growing in knowledge, and God is doing more in you and through you than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. We love you. We're for you. We'll see you next time on Leadership Lean In.